Welcome to the Foodbot Pod with Elaine Body and David Treadway with Matthew's Cotswold Flower. So here we are again, David. Nice to be back. Isn't it? And before we talk about the upcoming episode, we'd like so much to thank everybody who has listened and downloaded our first episode. The feedback has been amazing and we just overwhelmed. The response was more than we hoped for, wasn't it? Absolutely. And looking at the stats, we know where you are. (laughs) (laughs) Not exactly, but we know which continents. And the great thing is that we've got listeners downloading the podcast, the Food Bob Pod, on every single continent, over 35 countries, which is absolutely terrific. (laughs) Big round of applause for you all. Yes, thank you. And we've been very excited about this and we've been uh, been watching the uh, download numbers just with sheer joy. But also, various people have written reviews for us, which has been amazing. But also to have people quoting back to me things that have been said in the first episode and people have been trying things that we suggested as well already. I know that quite a few people have been using your uh, potato water or vegetable cooking water. And that that just absolutely amazing. So we're very, very grateful. We're so excited that you're back with us. I'm really, really excited about this episode, David. Well, I am too. And and, uh, just let me add my own thanks to yours to all our fantastic Foodbot Pod listeners for for the reaction and the way they've greeted us and welcomed us into the the podcast universe or the podiverse, is it called? I'm not sure. Uh, (laughs) But but it was absolutely terrific. So we hope you continue to enjoy the rest of uh, this first season of Foodbot Pod. And yes, we've got some great stuff coming up later in the series, but to today's episode and especially our conversation with Cherie Denham. I love this and I I hope you're going to love this. And I think the best best thing for me to do now is just to uh, say join us in Cherie's kitchen. This is just so exciting for us because we know each other from Instagram and that's all where it started from Instagram and sourdough and now we're actually here in her kitchen today so that we can talk about Cherie's fabulous food she's going to share a recipe or two with us and just give us some tips before we get into anything else just tell us a bit about you and what it is about food and cooking why what brought you to food why do you love it so much Whenever I was wee, I just loved going into my granny's kitchen, County Armagh and Portadown. She was a brilliant baker. My great aunt, her sister-in-law, was a great baker as well and preserver. And my grannies and great aunts on the other side also were. But my mummy never had time to cook because she was a full-time sister in the hospital all over the troubles. So we just sort of cooked for ourselves at home. And I don't actually know where I got recipes or anything like that and I don't know where those ideas came from but I would be the one who was in the doctor's surgery or the dentist surgery and I would be looking at People's Friends magazine or Woman and Home when I was like no age 
just to see how all these ingredients came together to make this lovely food. So I don't really know. I just always knew that I wanted to cook. So I knew I couldn't afford to go to cookery school. And my parents absolutely couldn't afford for me to go to cookery school. My daddy was a farmer. And so I became a medical secretary in order to get to London to go to cookery school. And I went to Leith's and it took me a long time, but I saved up and that's what I did. I put myself through cookery school. Only for three months. I could only afford three months, but then I was such a keynote, they asked me to stay on to be a demonstration assistant. So do you feel then if you were sat reading the recipes that you almost kind of absorbed some of the recipes and the cooking ideas as you were reading the magazines? Yes, I think so. And I was just brought to a different place as well. Do you know, I, I remember thinking, where did they get those ingredients from? And how did they put those together? And then whenever I went into Granny's kitchen, right, the smell on baking day was just incredible. That smell of scorched flour on the, because she always used a griddle. And um, there were cakes of, she called them cakes of bread, wheat and bread lined up, soda fars lined up. And then you opened her cupboard and there'd be like all the different jams. It was like all these like jewel pots of jams. Oh, it was lovely it was so nice and then on a Sunday evening we'd go around there right and we would always have the most delicious food on a Sunday evening the fire would be lit literally sounds very cliche but it was a turf fire cold fire lit beautiful oh so nice it's, it's everything that I didn't grow up with oh. and it just everything that just sounds just so perfectly romantically wonderful about cooking and baking and what you grow up with and it sounds like a perfect granny and well, now she was fierce. Oh, well, yes. she was definitely okay. fierce. <laughs> but a lovely woman. She had, she had 13 children. She made all this food for them. And anytime anyone would be come around to the house, she would look after them as well. And, you know, the cakes and everything, all that sort of stuff. So definitely, yeah. So, I mean, I see all the preserving and everything you do. Mm -hmm. So is that where it all comes from? I'm sure, yes, I'm sure it is. And my um, Auntie Evelyn and my Aunt Evie, on my daddy's side as well, they were great preservers as well. So I think that's where I get the whole love from, of going around the hedgerows and scouring around the hedgerows and seeing what I can use. And you know, now at the moment it's rose hips and they're slows and the crab apples have gone, but I've got some that I kept in the freezer. And I love that whole alchemy of the way food comes together. Like you've got this murky stuff liquid that comes through a jelly bag. You add sugar and you heat it up and suddenly this foam clears on the top and you've got this crystal clear liquid underneath that you put, pour into jars and it's like, how did that ever happen? Do you know, I love stuff like that. I love seeing how the ingredients come together to do that. When I wanted to, when I first started to teach myself how to make Middle Eastern food and, yes. you know, food from the forest and things like that, I wanted to understand how different spices went together. And to understand, you know, what did people put, you know, in the recipes. So I did a similar thing. I read a lot of cookbooks. I didn't make the recipes necessarily, but I read a lot. So I bought all the Ottolenghi cookbooks. I read what spices they were putting together in things to start to have an understanding of what was paired and what you used in yes. different places. So a similar kind of absorption of the, the recipes to start to understand where was their starting point. If you took a certain ingredient, what was the key thing that they would put with it? You know, just to have some education. Yeah, but what made you want to go down the Lebanese or the Middle Eastern route? What was it? Was it a restaurant around you or what was it that you really... Oh, because I lived in the Middle East as a child. Oh, I did not know that. I did not. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Where? Um, well, I I lived in Dubai before anyone had ever heard of it. <gasps> I moved to Dubai in 1984 when I was 12 years old. Oh my gracious. So I lived there when it was still mostly desert. 
but that's where all of my influences and interests come from in food. That's where my tastes were formed, really. So I got to a point where I wanted to learn how to make them for myself. So when I, you know, I, I used to go back and visit and bring all of the ingredients back with me here because you couldn't get, especially where I lived, you couldn't get Middle Eastern food. No. You no. couldn't get those ingredients. So I can remember um, messaging my mum and saying, oh, they're talking about something called frika in this country. Uh-huh. Um, so she got me this huge bag of frika from Abu Dhabi. And this was, you know, not refined. Mm-hmm. This was not cleaned. This stuff stank. Yeah. But it was before anyone had it here. I wanted to know what to do with those ingredients. The difference is now, on my doorstep, I can actually go and buy the ingredients and the same makes as I could buy in the Middle East, now in the Turkish shop on my doorstep. So I can make the same foods, you know, in my version. Yes, yes. You know, so anyway, but yes, yeah, so that's, that's where mine comes from. That's where the influences came from, that and travels. My family was shoved around a lot. We moved in lots of different, lived in lots of different places. So my food tastes were born from those travels. But don't you love all those different shops, though? Yes. You know, and all the smells when you go in and the sights. Well, I've just, I've just watched your TikToks and Instagram where you've just been in, was it Marrakesh? Yes. And, you know, when you've gone through the spice soups and you've gone through those food markets, <gasps> you know, that was my childhood. Oh. You know, and you'd walk around, you know, those pyramids of spices. Yes. And, and just taking it all in. And the grubbier, the better. Oh my word, that's, really? that's the thing. We had street food on the day before we left and we knew it was good because we'd been there the day before as well. And it was just so delicious. And bread, you see, the bread is in my DNA and I just love any bread. So there was the bat, but you know, the round mm-hmm. flat one and they took the skewers off, or the brochettes off the heat and they just, and he just cleaned them off into the bread with some tomato sauce. Oh, delicious. <sighs> so maybe delicious. we should explain then how actually we know each other so this was during lockdown when you decided to start trying to make sourdough. Oh my word. I had tried to make sourdough seven times before I found you, my guru. And I remember saying to Andy, do you know what, I find a lady on Instagram and she seems really good at what she does at sourdough. And Andy goes, oh, flip me, Shereen, not more sourdough. And I said, no, seriously, I think this one's really going to work. <laughs> so, because I saw these positive things coming through in your Instagram. So whenever I spoke to you and I said, oh, Elaine, do you know what? This is now the seventh time I ha- it hasn't worked. And you need, some people say you need uh, t- grapes in your starter. Some people say you need apple skins. Some people say you need like the water from 40 virgins up a mountain. It's meant, to, you know, <laughs> everything's meant to be. So spring water and all the rest. And you said, no, all you do is you take your tap water and it'll be fine. I, and, and I said to you, but our tap water is just filled with chlorine. You leave the top off, Cherie, and the chlorine evaporates overnight. And I was like, no. So anyway, you talked me through each stage. And the very first starter I made before lockdown, it's still going now. Oh, brilliant. I, but I, I see, I remember the messages and I was talking through it. But because I remember one of the key problems was the fact that because you have an agar, your kitchen is hot. Yes. And therefore your starter was getting thin. It was working too fast because of the heat. Yes. And that wasn't something that you were aware of at that point. But that was one of the key things that made a change to your starter, wasn't it? It was moving it away from the heat. You're so right. I had not a notion about any of that. And you were so patient, Elaine. You really were. You (laughs) answered so many questions because, honestly, I was beside myself because the starter had risen 
and then it had dropped so quickly yeah. but i could see all these tiny bubbles and i was like there's loads of tiny bubbles and you're like yeah but they're not strong enough bubbles sheree so just give it a wee bit more flour and not as much water and it was just this brilliant thing where you had told me what to do and i did it and it worked and i just loved it honestly i've got two on the go and i even dry it out now and send it to people but again you're right completely your idea even the my boys never ate anything but uh, white bread when they were away i always had them I, I prided myself on brown bread and when they went over to northern ireland they had white bread for the first time and they didn't know it existed and then whenever i started to make the sourdough that's all they ate now the wraps oh, they eat wraps but yeah. sourdough i don't buy any more bread now it's great Brilliant. So thank you for that. One of the things, one of the key things that I want to ask everybody, uh, which I think is going to be brilliant coming from your kitchen, is for me, it's all about the tips. Mm -hmm. I think that the key thing that I find most interesting when I watch cookery programs and I read recipes, anything, it's all about the tips and the little things people do in their kitchens. Mm -hmm. And it's the things that you'll think are uh, not that important but actually it's that little, the, the little tip that's going to make a difference to someone. So what would you say are your three top tips in your kitchen in baking or cooking? So because of my upbringing, I was always taught to be very frugal. So I freeze an awful lot of stuff. If I go to an oriental supermarket, I'll do a big shop and I freeze my kaffir, lime leaves, chilies, lemongrass and ginger. And when I get the ginger home, I scrub the flesh or the skin clean and I put it into the freezer and then as I grate the ginger on a microplane, it just falls away like ginger snow. So it, you don't have all those fibers in the back of your grater. So you, do, you, you grate it whilst it's still frozen? Whilst it's still frozen. Oh, wow. And okay. it is so fine. It's like powder, but it is brilliant and it works really well. And because the skin is clean there's no, and it's so fine with the microplane, you don't need to take the skin off before you grate it. Yeah. And it just works an absolute treat. And then if you need a lump of ginger, obviously you need it. Just, I just leave it on the side to soften for a wee while and I'll add that into my blender or whatever. So that's definitely, because so many people, whenever I used to run my demonstrations, they used to say, but ginger doesn't last, Sheree. It's, you know, it's, it goes blue in my fridge. And I said, yeah, but what you do is you bring it home, you wash it and you put it in your freezer and it's brilliant. It lasts for months. Another thing would be, I would say, is when my son actually thought of this one, I said, I have to um, think of a top tip, Harry, what would be yours? What would you think? And he says, mommy, the chopping board. So when you have used your chopping board for meat uh, or for fish, always rinse it off in cold water and scrub it off, first of all, with cold water then use hot water and a fairy liquid because if you put hot water onto it straight away it cooks the proteins in your board and the gunk that's on there afterwards is shocking okay. and if you use a paint scraper once a month for your boards it makes keeps them as clean as anything so i use wooden boards but i've got a different different boards for sweet and different boards for savory and then the last one i would say is whenever i make lemon curd or if i'm making a fruit coulis something like that. I always use, um, when I'm putting it through a sieve, I use a metal sieve, but I always make sure that I use a silicone ladle because if you use a metal ladle, first of all, a ladle is really useful because it's the shape of the bowl. Of the, the bowl of the ladle is the shape of the sieve. So you go round and round okay, and it falls yeah. through so much quicker rather than going back and forth with a spatula or a spoon. But I see so many people using metal spoons. But when I ran my demonstrations, so an awful lot of people said to me, but Sheree, 
I've made such and such before and it just tastes metallic and the colour is funny. And I says that's because you're using metal on metal. So if you use a silicone ladle and push it through or a silicone sieve and a metal ladle, that's fine. But they can't be metal on metal because the acidity of what you're putting through the sieve will react with the metal and it could discolour your food and make it taste metallic. You're listening to the Food Bot Pod with Matthews Cotswold Flour, award-winning flour created by farmers, millers and bakers. Well, David, I don't know about you, but my stomach was already rumbling at this point, Absolutely. listening to Cherie. <laughs> <laughs> and just a mine of just endless knowledge. So Cherie's top tips, just brilliant, but also to hear about her influences. Yes, yeah, so the way she talked about her upbringing and her memories of her granny, I just thought it was absolutely wonderful. And without being too patronising, I think I could listen to Cherie's voice all day. She's just got such a welcoming, kind of inclusive way of saying, this is me, this is who I am. Oh, and I, yeah, I'm exactly the same as you. I just, I love it. And you feel like she's taken you right back to her childhood and the kitchen and the surrounding oh so and you get a real feel of her family history yes and what kind of a woman her granny was she was fierce (laughs) (laughs) indeed so what we're going to do now is hear all about granny soda files and this is something i have seen sheree make quite a lot on social media so i'm very excited about this i've never seen her social media demonstrations but i was absolutely mesmerized and if we only could capture the smell but hopefully hopefully we uh, have done enough uh, talking and gushing throughout this recording for you to try and capture some of it but first one of my other great things and something else that i will be asking everybody mm-hmm. is about leftovers now i think this is going to fit with your frugal ways but to me, I love leftovers. Me too, Elian. I think that they have more flavour than anything else. Whatever I make, I tend to make too much so that there's always leftovers, so that there's something to do with them. So a lot of my recipes have been created from having stuff that's left over and just chucking it in some dough. So what would you say would be your favourite leftovers, your favourite thing to do with some leftovers? So on a Sunday when we have a Sunday roast, I know you're a vegetarian, so... Maybe, maybe not so much for you, but um, if we have a Sunday roasted chicken especially, I make extra of um, the pigs and blankets and the potatoes and the vegetables and everything. And I make pot pies with extra leftover ro- roast. So everything goes in. So I mix the leftover chicken with the chop up the pigs and blankets, um, the roast potatoes, the cauliflower, bits of cauliflower cheese, everything. Wow. And put them all into wee pot pies. And do you know what? I bought all my pie pots in the charity shop and they were like 25 pH. And I lined them all up and put them there. And then as the boys feel hungry, well, not Harry, he's vegetarian. But as the other two feel hungry or we do during the week, we just take them out and put them into the from the freezer into the aga or into the oven and they're done. Do you need to add a sauce to that or you just put... Sorry, the gravy goes oh, in okay, as well. Oh, okay, so the Sorry. gravy as well. Ah, and okay. then you've got the sauce from the cauliflower cheese. Now, it sounds like a real mashup. That sounds great me. But I promise you, it's so nice. And then for Harry, I'll, I'll do him more cauliflower cheese and potatoes and, and vegetables and then I'll make more 
um, sauce, you know, cheese sauce for him. You say pot pie, does that mean it has some pastry over the top? Puff pastry, I just put puff, all butter puff pastry over the top and honestly it works a treat. Oh, that's fabulous. <laughs> In which case then, that comes on to my next question, mm -hmm. what is your favourite family meal? Favourite and kind of easiest, what would be your fast easy thing for during the week? So it's actually chicken fried rice. I always cook the um, rice first of all. So I rinse off the rice in a sieve and I do two cups of rice, four cups of water, put it into the saucepan. I put a tea towel over the top and the lid on top of that. And then I bunch the tea towel all up and tie it with a um, elastic band. And I bring, I, I simmer the rice for about 10 minutes, then turn the heat off and then it just gently steams. I, once the water has gone down, I put peas on top of that, so they just steam. Then I fry off chicken, broccoli, whatever else, listen, carrots, whatever I've got, put in hoisin sauce and put in um, grated ginger, mm -hmm. some lemongrass, kaffir lime, mix the whole lot together, put the rice and peas in, and that's it. And then I just make some soy omelets because we've got our own chicken, so we've always got lots of eggs. So I just whisk up a couple of eggs with a tablespoon of soy sauce and do those in the non-stick frying pan and they're really nice and thin and just slice those all up and that's what we have, spring onions on top and that's what we do. You make it all sound so easy. No, but that, I promise you that is. And then obviously I just take the chicken, do Harry a separate bag, a separate um, frying pan, you know, or wok for him and then whatever's left over, he takes back to uni with him. So then my question probably will fit with Harry as well. So, you know, as you mentioned, I'm vegetarian. Yes. Okay, so if I was coming for dinner, what would you make for me? So I would make for you this, which is just a sheet of all butter puff pastry. And then over the top of that is ricotta mixed with um, Parmesan and Gruyere. And then in a frying pan, I roasted off or toasted off, fried off, whatever, some aubergine. And then I put the baby plum tomatoes into the oven for 15 minutes with some salt, pepper, and um, a wee bit of tarragon and thyme over the top, a dried tarragon and thyme. And then over the top of the puff pastry, you put the cheese mixture with the ricotta and the eggs. And then you put over the roast vegetables. Then there's going to be lots of roquettes over the top and more wee baby tomatoes that have been roasted off and big shavings of pecorino and parmesan. My problem now is, of course, we're going we're to see how good these mics are, whether they're going to get my stomach rumbling, really. <laughs> Um, and this, this is a recipe that you're giving us, isn't it? Yes. Okay, so we're going to have a link to this recipe that's going to be on our webpage so that people can go and find it. So, um, oh. <laughs> well, it's, do you know what's good about it too, Elaine, right? You can have everything done in advance the day before. And then the next mo morning or whenever your friends are coming over or whatever, or for your own supper, you just put it all together in like five minutes and get it into the oven and it's done. I deprived myself of pastry because I love pastry and I could eat it in a big way. So I am thoroughly looking forward to that. In fact, I think we should just keep going so that we can get on to lunch. <laughs> marvellous, marvellous. <laughs> okay, so you're going to make a couple of things for us. Yes. Cherie has an aga, so she's going to be talking about how she cooks in an aga as well and what the slight differences might be. So please tell us, what are you going to make? Right, so I'm going to make some... Irish soda farls. I'm so pleased about this because I've seen you put these on Instagram. I have, I have lusted over these and they look amazing. Oh, do you know what? 
they're just, and I know I say this all the time, they're simple, they're this or that. Here I've got in a bowl 400 grams of plain flour. Okay. Right. So into this bowl, I'm going to put a teaspoon of salt and a teaspoon of bicarb of soda. So years ago, my granny would have put the bicarb of soda into her hand and she would have really pressed it through. Nowadays, I sieve it. The reason you would sieve it or press it through your hand is to get any lumps out of the bicarb of soda. Otherwise, you have yellow bits through your bread. And that was not something like... I've never like... sieved my bicarbonate soda. That's really useful. Yeah, or just okay. break it up in your hand and put it through. And also, it just aerates the bread a wee bit more, gets everything mixed up a wee bit more. This is, this is what Granny made cakes and cakes of. And they'd all be lined up. And she always, she always used old pillowcases that couldn't be, you know, maybe they had a hole in them or something. She washed them. They were as white as snow. And when she had finished making her bread, she would always wrap it in these pillowcases. I use muslin now these days, but she did that to keep the crust, crust nice and soft and the bread really soft. Okay. So that's... So we've got plain flour. Plain flour. Um, have you, uh, would it always be plain flour? Have you ever tried making them with different flours? I, I always use plain flour. Okay. Now at home they'd use what's called soda bread flour. So you've already got your salt and your bicarb of soda in there. And you've got your lovely big mason cash bowl. Yeah. That was always what was in my mum's kitchen. I remember that. So yeah. Granny Neil always baked her bread in these. And although I've got a small amount of flour in here, I always have to use these. So 400 grams of flour. And into this is going half a pint of buttermilk. I'm going to add a wee touch of water as well, cold water. So I'm just going to stir the buttermilk in, see how that goes, see how much more water, how much water I need. The reason I'm not adding too much more buttermilk is because I don't really want to open a whole thing of a whole carton of buttermilk to add in here. I can add water and water just keeps it really lovely and light anyway. Granny. So you judge the water by how it feels? Yes. So okay. once I've, I, I, I know bakers love getting their hands dirty. I'm just one of those who likes to leave it to the last minute. I'm not big on getting my hands uh, dirty. No, because it's just too sticky. So Granny Neil always used a um, rounded knife, you know, like a bone handled knife. But this one is was made for, for me by, the, do you know Bodger? I do. And because Bodger. of you, I've got things he's made for me. Oh, so if he's... you look at the cover on my current book, it's got a, the wooden scoop was made by Bodger because of you. Oh, because I went in. I this is the power of social media. Well, he's, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. He is just brilliant. So I'm just adding in literally maybe a tablespoon of water there. And then bit by bit, I'm going to get my hand in and just see how much I need to, how much more, if well, any, the, I the need action, to add. Look at the action of your hands. This is a woman that knows what she's doing with a big bowl of dough. So, so it's really important to make sure this dough isn't too wet, isn't too sticky. So is this one of those recipes that's got the alchemy between the buttermilk and the bicarbonate of soda? Yes, because th that would make it, yeah, that, those work together to make it rise a wee bit. So it gives them that nice pillowy um, texture. So, um, is this how you would make soda bread then? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, and to, to, like a, a loaf of soda bread, yes. So the farls is what, smaller versions? So the farls, farl is, means quarter or quadrant in Ulster Scots. Oh, okay. Yeah, so when I bring this all together, I am going to put this onto a board and roll it all out into a big circle, a big flat circle, then I'm going to cut it into quarters. Now, the reason I'm adding 
the water so slowly is, as Granny Neil said, always said, you can add to, but you can't take from. Always. So what I'm going to do is just put it now. I. When when would you have had soda fuzz? What kind of time, what kind of meal would you have had them with, or when would they have breakfast or tea? Right. Okay. So what we would do is had them with cheddar cheese and strawberry jam. Oh. Oh, I tell you. See, you see this whole thing about you, mommy, and all the rest. Like we were doing it years ago. Yeah. But, yeah. but people are like, <laughs> it's home cooks that are doing all these things long before it gets anywhere else. So what I'm going to do is put a wee bit of the the flour just across onto my board my hand is nicely floured as well so i'm just going to just get that rounded off so i don't have to so if it's nice and lightly on your board mm -hmm. it's not going to um affect the flour mix it's not going to no no it and it, it just stops it from sticking to your board then okay. what i'm going to do is raise the top of my aga lid the simmering lid so, so these are two different, your, your, the, the lids on these are two different temperatures? Yes, so the one on the left is hot, the one on the right is slightly cooler. Okay, and they run all the time? Yeah, they run all the time because okay. my alga runs on gas. Okay. Um, so, and then what I, you do is just a sprinkle of flour over the top. And that's, that doesn't burn then on there? It'll scorch. But you want that flavour, do you? Yeah. Oh, I love you. Oh. Oh, do you know, that's just... It just takes me back. So, uh, just that wafting. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna, please Sorry. believe us that it smells good. <laughs> just the flour on top. So Granny obviously used a um, griddle pan. If you don't have griddle pan or the algae or whatever, just do it in a frying pan, a dry frying pan with a nice bit of flour in the bottom. Just a tiny bit just to get it slightly scorched. So did so, you grow up with an algo or you had to no, learn how to cook with one? I learned, yeah, learned to cook with one. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you for some tips on that once you're done. Yeah, definitely. So now the, the build of bread or the, the dough. dough has come out and it's on the floured board. So what I'm doing is just ridging gently. Oh, with, so you're not rolling heavily? No. You're just... And let, when I do start to roll, I'll do it lightly, okay? Because okay, so you just start with just... So all Cherie is doing is taking the roll and just kind of pushing it into it. And it's kept in a round circle, okay? Okay, because when I roll dough out, I never keep the round. I never manage to keep it round. So is this how you is would? Is that for pastry even? Or for Anything. bread? I'm not, I'm, I'm not great on pastry and stuff like that. Okay, so when we were at, 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 at Leith's, we were always taught to keep your pastry round because a lot of the time it was for a, a tart or something. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And to ridge, first of all, so you're not putting as much pressure on the dough. Well, there, there's an extra tip, everybody. Look, uh, it's really cool. So you're just, you're just taking it and just pushing yeah. into it gently across the top before you start to then roll it. Exactly. And then you want to just gently turn it around as, as you move it. And then that helps, you know, with keep it shape. Because I have to be honest, you know, whenever I started doing it, my circles weren't really circles. They were more like the map of Tasmania. Do you know what I mean? They were sort of that shape. So what, I'm what you want to do is just take it to about the size of a dinner plate because you have to remember it's going to be thin now. But, but that, it's going to rise, is it? That's right, with the bicarb okay. of soda, okay, it's going to rise. So now we've got it in a nice circle. So what I'm going to do is just cut it in half. And we're talking the round is literally about the size of a dinner plate. Yeah. And then you're cutting it into the quarters. And then in quarters. And we're, we're probably talking about a centimetre thick. Yes. Yeah. And then we're going to take each piece, each quarter. And, and just place it on the heat. 
Absolutely. And what we want is that scorched flower look on the bottom of each farl. Oh, is that where you get the brown? Yes. Piece from, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. So if you were doing it in a griddle, that's what the griddle would have done in the yes, past. Yes, that's right. It the line. So granny used to always, um, whenever my mummy was a wee girl, she, granny would have used a goose feather or a turkey feather to take, to clean off the griddle, first of all, because it was always, the griddle was always hanging down under the fire. Do you know what I mean? So there'd mm. be loads of bits and pieces all over it. So she'd brush that all off, then put her flour on. So just skite a bit of flour with over the top. She'd clean it with the feather. Why is that? Because they always had geese and they always had, you know, the turkeys at Christmas, they used to, you know, have their own food all the time. And so they, it was strong, strong enough to use like a brush? Absolutely, yeah. Wow. So that's another, so nothing was ever wasted either. It was always thrown out to the geese, right? Okay. So if there were any wee bits and pieces that would be for the bins, always given to the geese, food wow. bits, obviously. So we've got these now sitting on your warm plate. Yes, so those are going to take probably about five minutes each side. So if someone was doing this in a pan, would you have it on, uh, say, a medium heat? Medium heat, yes. Okay. And then we'll give them five minutes there, turn them over, give them five minutes, and then you have to stand them on each edge to dry each edge out as well and bake each edge. Oh, Because <laughs> okay. otherwise they could get a seam going down the middle and Granny would never. <laughs> Oh, you can't have a scene. Are you haunted? Are you haunted oh by all these things? Oh my gracious. <laughs> Do you know, someone said to me the other day, I think your granny's walking with you in the kitchen. And I was like, flip open, I'll just tell me off for so many things. So I get people saying that to me. You're in my head in the kitchen. I think, oh, I hope I'm being nice. <laughs> but it's, it's true, you do. You think about what other people could be saying to you. You think, right, okay, am I doing that right? So you can see even now, and right, they're starting to, to grow. Yeah. You know, they're starting to just get, and they get real nice and puffy. There used to be on the side of the road, because well, I'm from County Shrone, Northern Ireland, there used to be um, this place near us in Ballygolly, and they had bacon and egg sodas right you know the way they sell burgers yeah well these were sold out of a, a van soda soda farls opened up buttered fried egg and bacon oh wow it was so so good i'm going to give these five minutes and turn them over and then whilst the soda farls are cooking let me tell you about the flour that Cherie has used to make them. At the same time, let me tell you that if you would like to actually watch us recording this episode, we recorded the whole episode for you, which you'll be able to find on our YouTube channel, The Food Bod Pod. So you can actually see Cherie and I in action in her kitchen. So please keep in mind that this was as we were recording the podcast. So we don't look at the cameras particularly, but you'll be able to see what we're doing. You'll be able to see Cherie's actions and you'll be able to see what she's using. So what you will see is that she used Matthew's Cotswold flour, organic plain flour, when she made these soda files. But on other occasions, she uses the Matthew's Cotswold flour standard plain flour so it doesn't have to be the organic version i think for me when i try it i may try using the white spelt flour as well because if i make things that require plain flour i often use white spelt flour as an alternative so it's the matthews cotswold flour white spelt flour with the pink label 
Um, and I use that a lot. So if I make cakes or anything that wants a softer flour, that's what I tend to use. So if you want to see us in action, please do watch us too. You'll see many, many smiles and how much we enjoyed this. Before, um, we, before we hear that, uh, Elaine, um, is it worth just exploring the difference between terminology? Because a lot of our podcast listeners won't necessarily understand what we mean by plain flour. Uh, yes, very true. So in the UK, if we use plain flour, if we're going to make cakes, maybe biscuits, cookies, uh, Yorkshire pudding, something like that, then we would use what we would term as plain flour. In other countries, that would be labelled as all-purpose flour. And the difference being that it's all about the protein content. So if you make bread and you use a strong flour... Typically, the protein content is between 125 and 13%. Or if you look at the nutritional label, it's between 12.5 to 13 grams per 100 grams of flour. When you look at plain flour, it tends to be more like 9 to 10% or 9 to 10 grams per 100 grams. So either look for a plain flour or all-purpose flour, but you'll see exactly what should be used if you look at the imagery. And also the white spelt flour would do the same thing because it has a similar level. And it's about the softness. You know, sometimes you want a softer flour so you get that different finish. And that's what these flours will do for you. So if you used strong white bread flour to make soda files, it's just too strong, is it? You could still use it. I would say it would still work. You might get maybe a chewier texture, whereas the soda files, as we've discovered when we tried some or a softer finish, I would err towards a softer flour. I mean, I would even consider, you know, trying a whole grain spelt flour. I think that because this is not like baking a loaf that needs to hold its shape. This is baking something that is flatter, but also it's sturdier because you've got the buttermilk in it, so it's a thicker dough. But still beautifully soft, though. Yeah, exactly. And the flour adds to that. Yes. Excellent. Okay. I think that's worth, that was worth explaining. I mean, I know that, that um, all-purpose flour is one particular brand in the States that's very popular, and that's about 11.7%. And a lot of our fellow bakers in the States use that for their bread. Yes, absolutely. And, it, and it, again, it can be something that evens out. So if people ask me about wanting a slightly softer loaf, I will suggest that you use a split between a, a strong white bread flour or a stronger flour and all-purpose and plain or and the white spelt flour. I hope that's helped people to understand what actually what the alternatives are that you might be able to use in your kitchen. But now we're going to take you back to the soda files being finished. Okay, so you're at the point where we need to turn them over? Yes. So, Elaine, look at that. Do you see the scorched flour colour? And it's oh, really it's hard there. Yeah. The feel there on the other side. Oh. It's so soft and pillowy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and then we'll put it back on there so they want to be a nice colour as well. And see the way they've just started to set up. They're yeah, just so they started about one centimetre thick and they're now growing. They're, they're definitely past two centimetres, going up towards three, I would say. Yeah. Are they going to grow even more? No, they should stop about there, but that's the power of the baking soda. It's just mixing with the buttermilk, the acidity in the buttermilk. It just gives them that beautiful rise. It just gives off that carbon dioxide and just <gasps> lets them rise. So you've just said baking soda, mm -hmm. but we also say bicarbonate of soda. So yes. for anybody that's listening, they're one and the same. 
completely. I, I started to get into saying bicarbonate of soda whenever I was over here in, in England, but Granny Neil would always have said baking soda. So I find that fascinating because when I've written my books and I've written bicarbonate of soda, mm -hmm. it's because my publisher is American and they've then changed that to baking soda. But I didn't realise that would have been the same in Ireland. Yes. So that's what you would have said. Yeah. Oh, baking oh, soda. Cool. We'll give these another, say, f extra four minutes now and then we'll put them on their sides. Do you know what, they, what it looks like almost when you look at the edges and start to see the bubbles coming? It's like when you score a dome of dough that you've got from making sourdough and you score into yes. it and you see the bubbles inside. That's what it's starting to look like on the edges. You are so right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. And oh. it's because of that alchemy between the acid and the buttermilk and the bicarbonate of soda and the bubbles and the growth in the air that they create, isn't it? Absolutely. And which can make it often look like the sourdough stuff. Yes. So... These are also part of the Ulster Fry. Have you heard of the Ulster Fry? No. So you know the way English breakfast, fried breakfast, the yeah. Ulster Fry, you get your eggs and your bacon and, you know, if you want a bit of tomato, mushrooms, right? But these would be cut in half again, so they're like a smaller triangle, and then you open that triangle up, and then you fry it in the pan after you've fried off the bacon and the sausages. So you've got that lovely flavour in there. You know, you reminded me of what my, my dad used to do. So when they, we had a fry up as kids, whatever fat was left in the pan, yeah, the bread went in to make fried bread. Yes. So whilst we're waiting for these then, what are the considerations someone should have with baking or cooking differently between an agar and an oven? Because obviously it's on all the time. So when I talk about baking from a cold start, you can't do that in here. No. But no. you've got... Different temperatures and different doors, is that right? Yes, so, um, so I've got a, a, a four-door auger. So I've got a roasting oven and a baking oven and a simmering oven and a warming oven. Now for two oven augers, you've got a roasting oven and a simmering oven. So you, you just need to work your way around with something that's called a cold plane shelf. So it's a piece of sheet metal, like a shelf that goes in, and you can cool down your the temperature that way using the cold plane shelf because you're putting something that's cold in it so it's going to bring the temperature down yes okay but it, therefore that would then warm it up would it or is it made of something that stays cold it, it warms up yes but it takes the initial heat away the roasting oven would run at 200 degrees and um, baking oven at a, between 100 and 200 and then simmering about 150 warming 110 so do you have a thermometer that you would put in them on occasion to see what they sit at? Definitely. And there's certain things that you need to be, like meringues are just one of those things in an auger. You need to sometimes set it in the roasting oven for three minutes maybe and then move it over to the simmering oven. And I always thought meringues were one of those things you needed to put in the oven and not touch it. So it's all right if you move them around. From a roasting oven, they'll set up and then they'll continue to go in your simmering oven. They'll be absolutely fine. But I have to say, because I've got a convection oven as well, because of when I ran the demos, I, need, I did so many recipes in one go, I had to use both ovens. Yeah. I, always did, I always do my meringues in the normal oven because it keeps them really white and bright as well. Whereas if you do them in the agar, they go quite browny. Okay. They still taste delicious. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely delicious. The look of it. Yeah. 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 So I'm just going to turn these. Now they've got a beautiful colour on, okay. on the other side. Yeah. What we're going to do is just turn those around just like that. Oh, wow. So they're like bookends. Yes. Okay. So just a couple of minutes 
each side so that they're nicely cooked and then we'll wrap them in muslin and then you'll have to try them later on <gasps> try and stop me just a question then if you hadn't put the flour on they would still cook all right they just wouldn't have that brown tint they would get a slight brown tint but not that lovely not that lovely rustic okay. but color. would they have stuck i suppose you could sprinkle them with flour before you put them on okay and then they wouldn't stick okay but right. I, yeah but always and but also i think it was a thing as well years ago with the griddle to put the flour on to see if the griddle was hot enough yes and if it, to see if it responded yes, yes yes so we've now got them on their ends yes with all that lovely oh, holy edges looking at us yeah so they're all leaning against each other so what we're doing, you're just kind of setting the edges rather than yes. making it too dark. Yeah. With sourdough, we always have the joy of needing to wait, really, until it's cooled a bit before we slice into it to get the best out of it. Is this something you could eat warm straight off the griddle? Oh, my word, yes. Okay. So and you expect me not to do that. You expect me to wait for you to make something else before I can try it. Well, maybe you have to try a wee bit of it warm, but honestly. And what Grand Neil used to do, he used to get one, slice it into fingers and have it with boiled goose eggs in the morning for breakfast. We like, all need to come and stay at your granny's. Honestly, oh my word, it was just so good. It sounds like wonderful memories. Do you know, I have got really happy food memories, I have to say. When it, from whenever I was wee, we used to, we had the bread man who came round because mummy, as I say, mummy never baked. And what Granny Neil gave us on a Sunday would never have lasted us as a family. I've got three sisters. Um, would never have lasted us in a family throughout the week, right? So we had the bread man who used to come on a Saturday. Don Ferguson, I'll never forget him. Whenever he pulled out the big um, wooden tray at the back and the smell in there, Elaine, was amazing. Do you remember Parish buns with the pearls of sugar on the top? Yeah. Those and split um split buns with but it wasn't a real cream it was like a fake cream and then and then the red sauce over the top and i just remember thinking oh my word they look delicious but we couldn't afford those so we never got those but we got um nutty crust bread in okay. wax paper oh. and nutty crust crust was like a batch bread but it takes 24 hours to make interesting right. oh, okay. a fermentation stage yeah. and it's real funny because my cousin married mr nutty crust's granddaughter so we say that's the closest thing to celebrity we have in our, in our, in our family right because nutty crust is like all over the place so we had those and that's always bought sliced but then there were batch breads as well that mommy used to buy around christmas time that weren't sliced because she used those to make breadcrumbs for the christmas pudding and christmas cake mommy's christmas pudding and christmas cake were absolutely fantastic. Wow. And she used to grate them with the old grater, you know, the old yeah. metal grater. She stood and so, she so grated. So you need to write a book of mummy's recipes, mummy's and granny's recipes. Honestly. It sounds amazing, but all of that, that love and flavour and history through it. But then we'd um, would go around this, this area called Brownie when daddy would ask us to move the cows. We'd go around this area called Brownie and we'd go around and we'd have, we'd pack ourselves a, a packed lunch and it was literally the heel of the bread or the crust of the bread, but buttered, because there was no real butter in the house, it was only margarine. But we would have that and we would just bring that and we'd go out for hours after we'd moved the cows and we would just cycle around the roads on our bicycles. Oh, it was great crack, it was great. Right, these are nearly done. Okay, so, so Cherie has done all three edges of the triangles now for because we've got the four quarters. So all three edges have been sitting on the heat. And now yes. you wrap them in the muslin. And then just take them up like this. And so then just wrapping them like a parcel. Yep. And the muslin is going to remind us. It keeps the crust 
nice and soft so they don't dry out they steam in there oh okay so they're still going to be steaming they're still going to be mm, smelling them oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's childhood right oh. there Smells amazing. Oh, so then, so, so we are not, we are happily smelling a ball <laughs> of muslin right now. But my God, it smells amazing. Quite. So it keeps it. They'll still keep their lovely firm crust on the outside, but inside they're like nice and almost okay, chewy. Okay, so you're going to keep the crust firm with this. Yes. It's, See, this is a tip. When people ask for wanting sourdough that's not as crusty, I always advise them to wrap it in muslin or, or a clean tea towel when it comes out the oven to soften the crust. Yes. So the steam softens it. But with this, it's going to stay crusty. It, it won't stay really crusty. It'll stay, sounds silly, but it sounds fir it'll stay firm. Okay. Firm. But it won't go all real soft. Okay, because, you know, you know if it's like with two pieces of toast, and my husband makes toast, he'll stick, stack them, you know, like in a triangle so they don't steam each other, make each other soggy. Yes. So that's not going to happen in there. No, so they're, they're just going to be, stay nice and soft. But can you feel, if you feel on the outside, do you feel... Oh. Do you feel that it's still quite yeah, firm? But but if you squ squeeze, you can feel the softness. It's, I can't quite oh, it's describe it. It's a parcel of joy. So let's just, I'll tell you. <sighs> You're listening to the Food Bod Pod with Matthews Cotswold Flour, bringing you inspired baking from Britain's artisan flour miller. Massive, huge thank you for having us here today. It's just been amazing. I am very hungry now, but it's just been brilliant. And just to, I don't think you realise what a wealth of knowledge you are. Oh, you you're know, too kind. But you, you know, the tips and the little things that come out through your entire conversation are just invaluable for people in their home kitchens. Thank you so much for having us here today. We will make sure that everybody knows where to find you. I know that you're like me. Whatever questions people have got, send them your way. Absolutely. Um, I would pretend to apologise to everyone listening that they can't share the food. I'm really not that sorry <laughs> because we're going to thoroughly enjoy it. So thank you so thank much. It's been amazing. Thank you. Amazing. I have loved every. I have loved every second of it. It's just been brilliant. It's having a chat in the kitchen. You're walking up nicer. I'm sharing a bit of food. Exactly. And isn't this what we love? This is the whole reason that we're doing this podcast. Yeah. Is just to share. What people love that that you know this is a home kitchen you have three children this is you know yeah. there's always people around you need to provide food easily quickly as well as inspiring people online and you yeah. know it's just it's real people in their real kitchens and it's just wonderful well i i think as well that people need to know that you know what good food doesn't have to be complicated mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be difficult and you can just put a few ingredients together and have something that's nurturing and lovely and comforting for your family, for your friends. I, do you know what? I used to do dinner parties a lot. I don't do them t so much more now. But you know, I'm just enjoying going back to basics. Yeah. I love that. Brilliant. I don't thank I have you, to Elaine. say nothing that you make looks basic to me. <laughs> well, you're lovely. Amazing. But thank so, you so much. I'm going to just keep on cuddling our little muslin baby here <laughs> and um, say goodbye so that I can start eating them. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I think, David, it's pretty obvious how much I enjoyed that. I enjoyed watching it. And, of course, <laughs> we all ate what she made afterwards, and it was just absolutely super. I think to 
really give you the full experience of what it was like in Cherie's kitchen. The warmth and welcome that she gave us was amazing. Absolutely. And her food is an absolute hug. Yes. I mean, it really is. Everything's yeah. made with love, but just everything about her home, just amazing. If you would like to find the recipes, if you go back to our website, thefoodbodpod.com, you will find Cherie's Soda Files recipe and her vegetarian tart recipe on the website. She's written them out for us. You can also find Cherie on Instagram at Cherie Denim Cooks. But all those links will be on our website. They'll also be on the YouTube channel so that you can watch us. We really hope you've enjoyed this. And we hope that you tell all your friends that they need to listen. Absolutely. And listen to yeah. the wonderful accent and the wonderful tales from Cherie. And such a just a welcoming person we really did enjoy our time with her didn't we we did and i think this also goes back to what food gives you i yeah. only know yeah. sheree through social media yes through as we said helping her with her sourdough our connection has continued with applauding each other and loving what each other shares I mean, her food extends even further than all of this. You know, she's got so much to offer. So and more a, oh. to come later in the season. Absolutely. So if you did like listening to Cherie and you'd like to have another really fabulous recipe from her, she will be back. I don't think it's going to be the last time you hear from her with me either. So please watch this space. Find this and all of our future episodes on Podbean, Spotify, Google or Amazon and other podcast platforms. Please subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes and share the love. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks for joining the Food Bod Pod family and we'll see you next time. Thank you. You've been listening to The Food Bod Pod with Matthews Cotswold Flour, award-winning flour created by farmers, millers and bakers.